This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of TKA patellar maltracking from the recon section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. TKA patellar maltracking is a common cause of patient dissatisfaction following total knee arthroplasty and is the most common reason for secondary surgery following total knee arthroplasty. Diagnosis is made clinically with a combination of anterior knee pain, patellar subluxation during ambulation, and limitation in knee flexion. Treatment may be non-operative or operative depending on underlying etiology. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence of TKA patellar maltracking, as we mentioned, this is the most common reason for secondary surgery following total knee arthroplasty. As far as etiology, causes may be related to prosthetic design, extensor mechanism imbalance, asymmetric patellar resection, malrotation, and patellar malpositioning. As far as the presentation of TKA patellar maltracking, complaints may include feelings of subluxation, frank dislocation, peripatellar pain, and limited flexion. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, lateral, and tangential views. An AP is used to assess placement of the femoral component and Q-angle. The lateral is used to assess size and rotation of the femoral component. A tangential view is used to assess subluxation of the patella, placement of the patellar component, angle of patellar resection, and patellar tilt. Findings may include a laterally subluxated patella, an increased Q-angle, anterior placement of the femoral component, asymmetric patellar resection, lateral placement of the patellar component, and lateral osteophyte on the patella. A CT scan will be the best way to assess for rotational malalignment. Treatment of TKA patellar maltracking should be to appropriately address the etiology. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 51-year-old woman who underwent a total knee arthroplasty 14 months ago for severe degenerative arthritis now reports progressive pain, swelling, and buckling of the knee. She must use crutches and is unable to negotiate stairs. Laboratory testing reveals a normal erythrocyte sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein. Radiographs reveal a laterally positioned patellar component, a tibial tray that is internally rotated and translated to the medial side of the proximal tibial surface, and a femoral component that is markedly internally rotated about 10 degrees. What is the most important test to further evaluate this problem? And the choices are one, long-standing anterior-posterior radiograph of the hip, knee, ankle, two, axial CT views from the supracondylar distal femur to the proximal tibia below the tibial tubercle, three, fluoroscopic stress views to demonstrate the position of subluxation, four, bone scan, and five, MRI scan. The correct answer to this question is two, axial CT views from the supracondylar distal femur to the proximal tibia below the tibial tubercle. So the cause of subluxation in this patient is multifactorial and includes a laterally positioned patellar component, a tibial tray that is internally rotated and translated to the medial side of the proximal tibial surface, and a femoral component that is markedly internally rotated about 10 degrees. All of these findings will be apparent on a CT scan. The long-standing radiograph may be helpful, but does not show the particular rotational abnormalities of both implants that are causing this problem. Fluoroscopic review may show how unstable the patella is, but the initial merchant view will show the basic problem. A bone scan does not provide information about component malposition. An MRI scan is inferior to a CT scan because of image artifact. Moving on to the next question, 
what is the most common cause of early failure for patellofemoral arthroplasty? And the choices are 1. Progression of tibiofemoral arthritis. 2. Loosening of the femoral trochlear component. 3. Loosening of the patellar component. 4. Patellar instability slash maltracking. And 5. Rupture of the quadriceps tendon from trochlear component impingement secondary to excessive anterior placement and flexion of the implant. The correct answer to this question is for patellar instability slash maltracking. So in properly selected patients who have no or minimal tibiofemoral arthritis, the most common cause of early failure is patellofemoral instability secondary to uncorrected patellar malalignment, soft tissue imbalance, or component malposition. Progression of tibiofemoral arthritis is also a leading cause of failure, but occurs late in about 25% of patients. Loosening of components has occurred in less than 1% of knees with cemented implants. A higher rate of loosening has been reported in cementless implants. Moving on to the next question. During total knee arthroplasty, the patella is noted to subluxate laterally despite a lateral retinacular release. Which of the following methods is most likely to improve patellar stability? And the choices are 1. Slight external rotation of the tibial component. 2. Slight internal rotation of the femoral component. 3. Slight anterior translation of the tibial component. 4. Use of a fixed bearing knee as opposed to a mobile bearing knee and five, use of a thicker patellar component. The correct answer to this question is one, slight external rotation of the tibial component. So slight external rotation of the tibial component will cause a net medialization of the tibial tubercle when the knee is articulated. This will help centralize the extensor mechanism over the trochlear groove and minimize the tendency for lateral subluxation. Internal rotation of the femoral component increases the risk of patellar instability. Anterior translation of the tibial component moves the patellar tendon insertion posteriorly and may increase force on the patella but should not substantially alter patellar tracking. Clinical studies have shown no patellofemoral benefits to the use of fixed or mobile bearing designs. Thicker patellar components will not improve tracking and may compound the problem. And moving on to the final question, a 64-year-old man undergoes a primary total knee arthroplasty. Three months after surgery, he reports persistent pain, weakness, and difficulty ambulating. A post-operative merchant view reveals subluxation of the patellar component. What is the best course of action at this time? And the choices are 1. Hinged knee brace, 2. Patellar component revision with a tantalum implant and lateralization of the patella, 3. Revision knee arthroplasty with greater internal rotation of the tibial component, 4. Revision total knee arthroplasty with a lateral release and external rotation of the femoral component. And 5. Revision total knee arthroplasty with a lateral release and internal rotation of the femoral component. The correct answer to this question is 4. Revision total knee arthroplasty with a lateral release and external rotation of the femoral component. So the post-op merchant view in this patient revealed a subluxation of the patellar component. The etiology of maltracking of the patella includes internal rotation of the femoral component, internal rotation of the tibial component, excessive patellar height, and lateralization of the patellar component. The treatment of choice in this patient is revision total knee arthroplasty with external rotation of the femoral component. Preoperatively, the patient also may require a lateral release, revision of the tibial component if it's internally rotated, and possibly a soft tissue realignment. Component malalignment needs to be addressed first. That's all for this review about TKA patellar maltracking. Hopefully that was helpful. 
This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.